the Hotel Bar Sessions, the podcast where three philosophers sit down at the end of a long conference day to chop it up at the hotel bar, which, as we all know, is where the real philosophy happens. Welcome back to another episode of Hotel Bar Sessions. My name is Lee Johnson, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Rick Lee and Jason Reed. And today we are talking about collegiality. But before we get into that, let's get some drink orders and some rants and raves. Rick, let me go to you first. What are you drinking? Today I'm going to have a Negroni, and I am ranting today about the left's fixation with Donald Trump's legal troubles. As if the whole problem is Trump and not the fact that so many millions of people voted for him and will vote for him again and will vote for him no matter what. He was right. He could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and still be reelected president. And that's really not about him. But also, I'm sick of the fixation on these legal troubles because I don't think this is the solution to the problem. So I don't think it's either the problem or the solution to the problem. And I'm done with it. I I mean, we need to just shut up about these legal problems. So you think there's no chance he's going to jail? I think there's a big chance the civil suit in New York against him and the company and the children who are involved in the company will go through, but there's no jail time involved. Uh, okay. I mean, he might lose his business and all of that, but in the end, I don't think that's the issue we should be focusing on. <laughs> the issue we should be focusing on is why so many of our fellow citizens are fascists. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, Jason, what about you? What are you drinking and what are you ranting or raving about this week? I'm going to have an Oxbow Lapulo, which is an Italian-style Pilsner I just tried. You don't usually think about Italy and beer, at least I don't, but it was really good from local brewing company. And I'm going to rave about the band Fury and their little album, Resurrection. <laughs> So Fury, as far as I can tell, they were like a combination of two DC punk bands, Swizz and Ignition, that got together, recorded one album that is just amazingly raw and angry, everything that punk should be. It was recently re-released, and I bought it as an album. And I love the fact, I should mention, it's only available as an album, friends. It's not on any streaming service. There's something nice about just listening to vinyl. Mm. So I know I sound like an incredible elitist here, but they are just an intense (laughs) and amazing bit of music. Definitely worth checking out if you can find it. They are on YouTube somewhere, but the thing about calling your band Fury is it makes it really hard for people to find it on YouTube because there are plenty of things about Fury when you use search terms (laughs) like that. Especially if you misspell it as furry. That's a whole other thing. Leaf, what about you? What are you having and are you ranting or raving? I think I'm just going to have an iced tea today. And I am raving about Obama <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> so I had no idea what this was. I have not read any of it. But apparently there's this whole corner of the internet fan fiction sites that have basically shipped Obama and Harry Styles. And so these (laughs) elaborate, complex, apparently quite compelling stories about the hidden love, the secret love of Harry Styles and Obama is all over the internet. And I think I'm definitely going to have to read some of this. Does that come on a furry version as well? I feel like it should. (laughs) 
All right. So today we're talking about collegiality. So, Rick, how did you want this to go? It turns out that everyone who works with other people has colleagues. So collegiality would refer to those qualities that make someone a good colleague. And in the academic world, it refers, I think, primarily to members of one's own department, my colleagues. And here it might take on a more nuanced meaning. Collegiality in academia sometimes means those qualities that make one likable within a department. It comes up frequently, and some might say all too frequently, in discussions of tenure and promotion. But what all definitions of collegiality I think include is that someone contributes positively to the work of a team, a department, or a company. But there are negative aspects to this term and concept. For example, women who speak frequently and powerfully at meetings are often deemed uncollegial. It can come to mean something like, this person is one of us, and that would make those who are critical of us uncollegial. And then when it comes to discussions of promotion and tenure, it turns out to be an incredibly amorphous, vaguely defined term. So with all these problems, it brings one to wonder whether there is anything positive about the use of collegiality and collegiality as a concept. Well, colleagues, this is going to come as a shock to you, but my first question is, A definitional question. (laughs) So what exactly is collegiality? Well, my colleague from Tennessee, (laughs) I wonder, so this, I'm going to start by not answering your question, but the root of this has togetherness at the heart of it. So the cold part of collegial and colleague means together. And I'm kind of wondering... Is a colleague just someone who happens to work in the next cubicle, or is a colleague someone who has like a shared project with me or a shared commitment with me that we're in this all together? Yeah, I mean, I think that I referred to colleagues that I'm not working on things with, like working on specific projects with. I often talk about like my colleagues in the profession. So these Mm. might not even be people that I know or that I've met. Mm. But I do think that it is primarily work-related. I'm not sure that I would call someone that I was, I don't know, working on a project outside of work with a colleague. Mm -hmm. Like if you were making a quilt, you don't have (laughs) quilt-making colleagues? Okay, first of all, let's talk about me making a quilt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the point stands, yeah. I'm not sure if I use the term that much. Because of the issues you brought up, which we'll get into discussing, that's more restrictive use of it makes me kind of a little bit allergic to the term collegiality. But colleagues, yes, that term I use. And I think that it would be someone who you're not necessarily friends with, but you feel like they would be like a good person to be on a committee with. Mm. Whatever the work you're called on to do, they would do a good job, they would contribute, and they wouldn't frustrate or annoy you beyond you know a certain minimal amount that we all frustrate and annoy everyone. <laughs> but I don't even think I would call other people in the profession colleagues necessarily. Colleague always seems a little bit standoffish to me. Mm. If I had to introduce or describe someone at my university who I don't really know, but I don't really have any reason to dislike or especially like, they're a colleague. You point out something I never thought of. I would use the term colleague. If I mentioned someone's name and you would say, who's that? I might say, oh, they're my colleague. 
even if they're not collegial. Yeah. And so for me, collegial is always positive. And colleague, sometimes I can use negatively or even pejoratively. And I can think of some examples. Like if I'm talking to some students, you know, after my intro to philosophy class and they say, you know, oh, why doesn't the department offer a class in X? I might say, my colleagues and I have been talking about that for a number of years Mm -hmm. and we might introduce that class. And so it's a way of, I think, maybe formally referring to the people in the department, many of whom are friends, some of whom are not. And you know who you are, but you're probably not listening. (laughs) I agree with you. I think that I also don't necessarily have to like someone to refer to them as a colleague. I think I have to, in some sense, work with them or work for the same people they work for. But do you find it distancing in the way Jason pointed out? I don't think so. Like, I feel like it's a pretty neutral term until we start talking about whether or not someone is collegial, whether or not someone's a good colleague or a bad colleague. And so for that reason, the predicate decides whether a colleague is good or bad. The colleague is just neutral. I mean, I'm trying to think, certainly when I got kicked out of college and was an apprentice pipe fitter, no one used the term colleague. When I worked in Baskin-Robbins, no one used the term (laughs) colleague. When I made pasta in some guy's basement, no one used the term colleague. And so it does seem to be a white-collar way of talking. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly right. I was going to mention that as well. I do think it's a middle-to-upper-class professional management kind of term. Mm. Which makes sense because in white-collar jobs, so much of what you do is things like meetings, talking to one another, etc., that it really foregrounds the intersubjective nature of what it is you're doing as a job, whereas in other jobs, you might think of someone as your coworker. Yeah. And that really just suggests that you're involved in the same project, you're part of the same employer, but there's no adjective form of that. Coworkerish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like we're moving in this direction anyway. So let's talk about what collegiality is. And Rick said that he always thinks about it in a positive sense. So someone who is collegial is a good colleague or someone who is uncollegial is a bad colleague. But what makes for a good or a bad colleague? Well, I don't know if this is specific to academia because I've never had a management position outside of academia. But for me, it is not necessarily someone that I like and I would go out to dinner with, but if they're going to roll up their sleeves and get to work, you know, in academia, we have a lot of jobs that are really unglamorous. An example that comes to mind was I served for a year on the faculty handbook committee, and that's (laughs) a really unglamorous job to have. But in many ways, it's necessary. And there were colleagues that I disagreed with, but they would just roll up their sleeves and get to work, always show up at the meetings, have something to present if it was their task to present something, that I would say is a good colleague. And therefore, I would refer to that person as collegial. On the other hand, I have colleagues who, when it comes time to do the work, suddenly I haven't seen them in four months and they're nowhere to be found. Those colleagues I would not refer to as collegial. Someone who comes to mind in my university is very collegial is also someone who Man, does he show up for every, like, if there's a lecture in the history department, he's there. He's always on board for supporting the university as an 
intellectual space. And if something happens, he's usually found somewhere in the audience. And once again, this is not someone I particularly like hang out with or friends with, but I admire that in him. I admire his dedication to knowing what people are talking about and researching in other departments, knowing what everyone is working on. I admire that as, and I can only think of collegial as a word to describe it, even if mm. it doesn't translate into necessarily, I, I have nothing against the guy, but you know, we just don't vibe as they say. <laughs> <laughs> but I admire his tendency to be there, not just for the stuff Whereas Rick was saying, you got to roll up your sleeves, but the stuff that makes a university, and this is particular to a university, as a place of research and inquiry. Yeah, I think for me, and this might be the proceduralist in me, but the primary characteristic of a good colleague, of somebody who I think is collegial, is that they don't let their personal feelings mm. mm -hmm. into the work mm. so they can let disagreements be disagreements and go home and it's not a personal thing. They can work with people that they don't like in the same way that they work with people that they do like. That's the main thing for me. I really think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, what's the word I want to use here? There's a lot of passive aggressive behavior in academia. And I mm. think sometimes that is the marker to me of someone who doesn't quite understand collegiality. I'm often surprised, Lee, at how many people in academia think that if the group votes against them, either they don't understand the truth of the matter. <laughs> Or they're up to something nefarious, or they're just plain stupid. Mm. And I remember years and years ago at a faculty meeting to discuss hiring someone, and we were at the stage of just defining the position. And at the end of this, one of my colleagues stood up and she said, you all are fucking nuts. And she stormed out of the room. That person is not collegial. <laughs> so I agree wholeheartedly with you, Lee, that recognizing that I'm not always going to win and to let that happen without personal animosity and without holding a grudge is also a sign of being a good colleague. I think that we also have to distinguish whether or not someone is collegial from what often gets referred to in hiring decisions of whether or not they're a quote unquote good fit. Right. Because I think someone can be a good colleague and can be collegial and not be a good fit for mm. a particular environment of colleagues. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think often we're not strangely good judges of who or what makes a good fit. Mm. And oftentimes it's the person who on paper seems like not a great fit that adds a different angle to things and brings a certain kind of excitement that might have the force of bringing things together and could really make a good colleague and be really collegial and end up fitting in a strange way. Yeah, because I think that a lot of times in hiring decisions, when someone determines that a candidate is not a good fit, the argument will be that they don't think that this person would be a good colleague, that they're not collegial. Right. And I think those two are different things. Right. And I also think in that case, when someone says they're not a good fit because I don't think they will be collegial, often that's just code for, I think they'll disagree with me. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned at the top, Rick, that you could have colleagues that are not your friends and friends who are not good colleagues. Could you say a little bit more about that? 
<laughs> well, I and could you name names? <laughs> I was going to say we should have said up front that I think for the three of us this could be a kind of touchy subject because we're thinking of examples and we can't be so specific <laughs> that that could come around back to. I'm talking about you, Francine. <laughs> I don't have a Francine in my department, so that works. But yes, I have had people who. I like to go out and have a beer with, have dinner with, and spend time. We have a lot of interests in common, but they're just really sucky as colleagues mm-hmm. in two ways. In one way, they are shirkers and don't do their fair share of work. And in the other way, they're not helpful in deliberations. And sometimes they're the ones who throw the wrench into the works. And yet I enjoy their company outside of that. And if we weren't in the same department, we'd probably even have a deeper and larger relationship. Hmm. So I have people on that side. And then I have people who are, I think, really good colleagues. And as Jason said, we just don't vibe. Yeah, I'm thinking of someone in particular in our department who, as Jason says, shows up, well, not all the time, but most of the time has long institutional memory of many different institutions and always provides a thoughtful, productive contribution to whatever the issue or the problem is. And I think they're a great colleague, but we have almost nothing in common. Mm. In fact, when we're not in meetings, like we have awkward conversations (laughs) because we just really have almost no world in common. Although it seems to me that the first one is harder to maintain than the second, at least in my experience, like someone who's a friend but not a good colleague. And I think of this in terms of Marx's famous essay on alienation, where he talks about the last thing that happens. You're alienated from the object, the activity, from your potential, your species being, but you're also alienated from others. And the way that like, if someone's not really there for you in the job, I find that erodes the friendship sometimes. You end up wanting to say, hey, come on, why couldn't you show up to be part of that thing? Or, you know, we all agreed we were going to, like, work on something and you really didn't. You know, it's hard. Like, I almost find myself wishing a person wasn't in my department. I think it's easier for me, people who are not in my department, and if they're like a troublemaker in their own department, we can be great friends because that stuff doesn't really affect me. But I feel like at a certain point... The work does sort of undermine the friendship, whereas the other kind of person, the person who you're not a friend with, but a great colleague, I mean, yeah, you have those awkward moments where you're like waiting for the meeting to start. You're like, please, do I have to talk to this person again? (laughs) And we're not naming names. The person I mentioned earlier, like I have consciously avoided running into him in Portland because I just don't want to have an awkward conversation with him. Right. (laughs) But I definitely will embrace him on any committee that I have to be on. I mean, so maybe this is more a topic for my therapist than for the podcast, (laughs) but for some reason I have in my life, and this goes more for colleagues in the profession than in my own department, I have managed to befriend in one way or another some of the most difficult human beings that are alive today. I mean, we're talking people who in the profession are universally acknowledged to be assholes. And somehow I managed to befriend them. And maybe that says more about me. And, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It, it, if there's any psychoanalysts in the audience, you probably have an answer to what's going on there. <laughs> but I have this ability to sort of put certain things aside 
if I find that there's enough of a shared world and other values in common that could support a friendship. Now, that's not to say there won't be deal breakers. And, you know, if one of my friends in a department meeting calls a colleague an asshole or something, that would really put a strain on my friendship with them. But... Yeah, I don't know. I'm able to separate out and think this person and I would be friends if we weren't colleagues. And so why not be friends, even though they're a bad colleague? So do you guys think that collegiality is something that has universal characteristics that everyone ought to recognize, unlike friendships? Mm. So I'll have an example Several years ago, I had a colleague and a friend, a person who was a colleague and a friend, who I kept hearing these just terrible, terrible stories about how he treated other women at the university. And I found myself in this weird position of saying, you know, when someone was telling me one of these stories, it's not that I don't believe you. But that's just never been my experience with this person. Mm. And I would point to things that I think are kind of universal characteristics of being a good colleague. And they would say, yes, of course, he does that and he does that. And I don't disagree, but he does these other things. And, you know, I just think like in the work environment, you still kind of have to back that person. You know, the person who you think is a good colleague Because I don't know to what extent these stories involve personal animosities that, you know, I don't know the backgrounds of and the complexities of. So, but you see what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think we've raised what for me would be some of the universal characteristics of collegiality. And I want to go back and emphasize one of them that you brought up, Lee, that I think I dropped a little too quickly. And you introduced it by talking about proceduralism, but I guess it has to do with someone who's going to follow the rules. And some of these rules are unspoken, like in meetings. I don't think in our handbook we have any rule that says you can't call someone an asshole. But, (laughs) I mean, we all know that you can't call someone an asshole in a meeting. So I think someone who follows the rules and works to make sure they are equally applied in all instances, I think, is one universal characteristic of someone who is collegial. And then I would draw one that Jason brought up with his example of, what was his name again, Jason? Steve? Um, (laughs) Francis. um, Namely, a universal characteristic of being collegial is supporting all of that which makes our shared enterprise work. Sometimes, sadly, we forget this, but our shared enterprise is to be an intellectual community. That means showing up when someone's giving a paper. That means supporting colleagues who are developing new curricula. That means insisting on intellectual debate over and above the interests of the marketplace and so on. I think all of those are marks of a good colleague. And it also means offering honest and useful criticism. Yes. Without it being a personal Mm -hmm. dig or a personal attack. You know, I had this colleague many years ago who was just a grumpy, ornery, 110-year-old man (laughs) and just was not in any way what I think anybody would call friendly. I mean, I'm sure he had friends, but I don't know who they were. Like, as far as I know, (laughs) I never saw anyone have a normal conversation with him, but was just really great colleague, you know, it was just Mm. 
always, you know, really helpful. I mean, his criticisms and disagreements were harsh. You know, he didn't pull punches, but he also wasn't mean. So far, we have two universal characteristics. And it's not fair of me because I stole one from each of you. (laughs) (laughs) But to go to your point, Lee, I think it's important to say again, the person who can be my friend is frequently peculiar to me. Right. Because of my interests and who I am and where I grew up and all sorts of contingent circumstances, this person could be my friend and might not be able to be your friend. But when it comes to being collegial, I think that cannot rest on peculiar circumstances because then we lose the meaning of the term colleague, that it's us together. And that has to be somewhat universal in a way that friendship need not be. So would you refer to Jason and I as colleagues ever? It depends under what circumstances I'm referring to you. These days, when I refer to the two of you together, it's normally because we do this podcast together. And then I refer to you as Mm co-hosts. And if I were referring to a paper that you gave at SPEP, Lee, I might say in talking about it, oh, my colleague Lee from Christian Brothers University made this really great point. But I'd be more likely to say my friend in that context. And Mm -hmm. same with Jason. You know, my friend Jason just wrote a blog post or you should read my friend Jason's book or whatever. There, I don't think I'd use the term colleagues. Yeah, I would say the same, although I found it useful a few years ago, Alberto Toscano, former guest on this podcast, <laughs> used the phrase conference friend, which I liked. And a conference friend is a person you might not keep up with, but if you were at the same conference with them, you would probably end up having a meal or going to the hotel bar and catching up. It's a combination usually of both They're probably interested in stuff you think is interesting, Mm. and you probably have a little bit of that particularity of a kind of rapport that Rick was referring to. Like, you can shoot the shit with them even when you're not talking about what is interesting. You know, because there are plenty of people whose work I find interesting, whose paper, I'm like, that was some good stuff, but I'm not necessarily sure I'm going to be hanging out (laughs) at the hotel bar with them just because, like, I'm, I'm awkward, they're awkward. Our awkwardness don't gel. And, you know, there we go. I have a tendency to use the term friend, especially with social media and anything. I use the term friend in a very expansive sense. Like, if I had any encounter with you and it was positive, we're friends <laughs> now. And, you know, this sometimes drives people crazy because they'll point out that I sometimes don't know the details. Like, Didn't you say this person was your friend? I'm like, well, yeah, but I don't know anything really about them. Well, I know a lot of people, and they're mostly millennials or Gen Z that use friend as a non-gender specific formal form of address. Mm. So where I might in a shop say, thank you, sir, they are now using friend. So thank you, friend. Mm. Or excuse me, friend, could I get another drink? And I don't know. I like friends to be friends. I'm sorry. Well, Rick, I think you and I started out as conference friends, I would say. We hung out for many years, really only in conferences. We had practically no contact outside of conferences. No, that's right. And I think the first time we ever exchanged cell phone numbers was mostly to arrange to meet at a conference. (laughs) (laughs) True. Did you know that Hotel Bar Podcast is more than just a podcast? We are a fully 
online cross-brand synergy platform of content creation. Actually, that's not true. Those words are meaningless. But you can follow us on the app formerly known as Twitter at Hotel Bar Podcast. There you can find the handles of all the co-hosts as well. You can follow us all or pick your favorite. If by the time you hear this, Elon Musk has burned down the servers to collect the insurance, you can also find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just look for Hotel Bar Sessions. Wherever you find us on social media, you can contact us with ideas, complaints, and questions. You can also email us anytime at hotelbarpodcast at gmail.com or visit our interactive page at hotelbarpodcast.com. No matter how you get in contact with us, we're always glad to hear from you. So when we decided we were going to talk about collegiality, I started to think about the first time I heard the term. And I came through a very tumultuous graduate program at a very tumultuous time. Mm. I mean, the program was in some sense structured around these huge debates about what is philosophy's relationship to work in other disciplines? And maybe more importantly, what is the relationship between the philosophical canon and things having to do with race, gender, etc.? And the first time I heard the term collegiality or, or someone was accused of not being collegial, it really struck me as a code word for this person is bringing up stuff about race in the history of philosophy that we don't want to think about because we're interested in presenting a certain vision of the history of philosophy where it's not implicated with the history of racism or sexism, etc. So for me, I guess the question is, can we separate the positive sense of collegiality that we were sort of talking about from the way in which it sometimes functions as a code word for this person is saying stuff that we just don't want to hear? Jason, you are so dangerously close to on the one hand, on the other hand. <laughs> I agree with you in that I find the word collegial to be code for something else. Mm -hmm. I think what it frequently is code for is, first of all, something that Lee brought up earlier, namely fit, but maybe expand that to fit in. And then when I say someone doesn't fit in, what I often mean is they seem to be critical of me or the positions I hold or what I think philosophy ought to be, or what the future of philosophy should be. And there, I think, it's an incredibly nefarious and ugly use of the term collegial for something that really is exclusionary. Mm -hmm. And it allows people to be exclusionary while seeming to say, oh, no, I'm doing this for a reason. What's the reason? Oh, they're not collegial. Yeah, I also think that it's code for how I expect that you should act. And I'm going to speak here as a woman in the profession. In my experience, I think that often when women are assertive or loud or argumentative, as I am all three, <laughs> that gets tagged as uncollegial. 
And really it's right. just, I'm not acting how these people think that girls are supposed to act, you know, like, why don't I like make the coffee or take the minutes or whatever, you know? Right. My colleagues of color have often told me they experience the same thing. So I do think that collegiality gets used as a code way for keeping women and people of color in their boxes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also important to remember that one can only do that from a position of power. So it's always the case, it seems to me, that the final decider of what is collegiality or what sorts of behaviors or what sorts of people are good colleagues is going to be the people with the most power in the room. You know, they're going to be the older, Mm. tenured, almost always white male professors who decide who's a good fit and who's not, who's being collegial and who's not. I find that the American Association of University Professors, which for those who aren't in the academy, is an organization that in some instances brings a union among the faculty to a campus. Not all faculty unions are part of AAUP, but many of them are. But even for faculties that are not unionized, we're not unionized at DePaul, the AAUP promotes the rights of professors And they have warned really strongly against using collegiality as a qualification for getting tenure or getting promoted or even for hiring. And Mm -hmm. if I could, I'd like to read their statement because I think it really gets at the issues quite well. They say, and we'll put the links to this in the show notes, Historically, collegiality has not infrequently been associated with ensuring homogeneity and hence with practices that exclude persons on the basis of their difference from a perceived norm. The invocation of collegiality may also threaten academic freedom. In the heat of important decisions regarding promotion or tenure, as well as other matters involving such traditional areas of faculty responsibility as curriculum or academic hiring, collegiality may be confused with the expectation that a faculty member display enthusiasm or dedication evince a constructive attitude that will foster harmony or display an excessive deference to administrative or faculty decisions where these may require reasoned discussion, (laughs) end quote. Are all the words of the last part, they all in scare quotes? So what's in scare quotes are a faculty member must display, quote, enthusiasm (laughs) or quote, dedication, (laughs) evince, quote, a constructive attitude that will, quote, foster harmony, or, and then the rest is not in scare quotes. So enthusiasm, dedication, constructive attitude, fostering harmony, these are all in scare quotes. And I think for reasons that Lee was just pointing out. I wish I could have been in the room when they were writing that. That's hilarious. feel like maybe if you were, there would be a lot more scare quotes. <laughs> there would be a lot more scare quotes. Enthusiastic scare quotes. <laughs> like around faculty decisions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and this comes in part of a document that is the AAUP advising universities not to include collegiality as a separate criterion when considering either giving someone tenure or promoting them. 
And maybe I should point out for our non-academic listeners that normally all of us at every university are evaluated either yearly or periodically on the basis of three criteria, teaching, service, and that could mean either to the university or a community service, and then research. These at DePaul, for example, are the only three criteria that we use when we're deciding whether to give someone tenure or not, or promote them from associate professor to full professor. But some universities do have collegiality as a fourth criterion, and the AAUP is warning against that for the reasons that they outline here. Yeah, I've never heard of collegiality as a fourth criterion. In my experience, it's always just been folded into the service criterion. Mm -hmm. Well, in a way, don't you think it could be folded into all three criteria? I don't see how it could be folded into teaching. Maybe. I don't. Yeah, no, I can only see how it could be folded into service. So for us, it would be folded into teaching in the sense that there are other programs in the university, and I can think of two main ones, the honors program and the first year program, that require us to teach courses, uh, a certain number of courses in their programs. So some of my colleagues will simply refuse to offer those courses. Those who do consistently say, yeah, you know what, I'll teach the first year seminar, I'll teach Discover Chicago, or I'll teach Honors 105. Those, I would say, are collegial in their teaching. That is, they're open to teaching that is supportive of the enterprise and helps out the department. I think I would still count that as service, but I see what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, that's the other side of the slipperiness of collegiality. That sometimes it seems in university context, people are unwilling to say, hey, everyone should teach this. This is part of what we mean by teaching is you have to teach these intro classes too. And it gets sort of smuggled over because I think people want to allow a great deal of like academic freedom around teaching and research. So then collegiality carries everything else. Because I've seen the same sort of thing where clearly it seems like the better way to address this would be to just make a rule. Everyone has to teach an intro seminar on some kind of rotation right? right, or whatever the case may be. But because there's an unwillingness to make that rule, then it gets turned into collegiality, which doesn't seem like it's the best place for those sorts of issues to come up. Going back to the enthusiasm and scare quotes, because it's not a rule, we expect enthusiastic volunteers for these things that really should just be rules. Right. And what I love about the enthusiastic scare quotes, and Lee, I think you're right that the burden of this falls almost exclusively on women and our colleagues of color. If you begrudgingly agree to teach, I don't know, business ethics you might get dinged because you didn't do it enthusiastically. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And so we need you, Lee, to say, yes, I love teaching business ethics, and I'll teach every section that we have. Then you're collegial. Which is just an mm-hmm. academic way of saying you'd be so much prettier if you just smiled. <laughs> <laughs> and while you're up, can I get a cup of coffee? Um, <laughs> While you're on your way to teaching business ethics, could you get me a sandwich? Yeah, right. I mean, I think that this AUP statement is important, obviously. And I think that it clearly, well, maybe not so clearly because of the scare quotes, but at any rate, 
pretty straightforwardly notes the problems with the way that collegiality is misused as a judgment for hiring, tenure, or promotion. Nevertheless, I think collegiality is important for hiring, tenure, and promotion. I don't think that we can eliminate it altogether as a consideration. I don't think we should eliminate it altogether as a consideration. I think we need to be more mindful about the way that the concept gets warped and abused. But, you know, Mm -hmm. really, can you not? I mean, in any other, as Rick was saying earlier, white-collar profession, promotions and hiring are going to also include whether or not this person is going to be a good colleague. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, in any other white collar position, certainly you would not get promoted if you're not collegial. Now, I have said once in public, and I got into a bit of trouble for this, that in my experience at three different universities, being involved in, I don't know, at this point, maybe 15 tenure cases or promotion cases, and the bulk of those being tenure cases, that in my experience, collegiality, whether stated or not, stands at the very center of every single tenure decision Mm -hmm. that I have witnessed being made. Mm -hmm. It's unspoken, And if someone is collegial, and here it would mean either in some positive sense that we have yet to discuss thoroughly, or in this negative, nefarious sense, like not one of us, too boisterous, too critical, and so on, it actually guides the way in which the record is read, understood, Mm -hmm. argued for, and presented. So that if you are deemed to be a good colleague, to be collegial, then some aspects of your teaching record that aren't so pretty might get overlooked or couched in a different way. And similarly with your service record and similarly with your teaching record. And so while I do think the AAUP statement is really important, I think we need to go one more step and we need to make statements, as we do often with implicit bias, to make statements about implicit assumptions of collegiality, Mm. coloring Mm -hmm. the way these decisions are made. Now, I think that's differently from saying that if someone's not a good colleague, given the universal characteristics we've come up with, that that should be taken seriously in the decision about whether to give them tenure or promote them. Yeah, I mean, isn't it the case, though, that most of the time when people say about someone else that they're uncollegial, that uncollegial is a euphemism for some really harsh criticism that like they want to say, I think this person is lazy or I think this person is untrustworthy, mm-hmm. you know, or I think mm-hmm. this person is an asshole. <laughs> right. But they right. say uncollegial. I'm not sure that that's all that terrible. I mean, I don't know that I would think it's entirely appropriate to you know, in a decision about a hiring, tenure, or promotion to say, I think this person is lazy. But I agree with you. Then it gets it's complicated because if that's the real reason, then why say uncollegial? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, that mm-hmm. can mean so many things. Because to the person who's meaning to say, I think this person is lazy, somebody else hears uncollegial and they're like, oh, she's a bitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right. Well, yeah, because our profession rest on a lot of norms that are not clearly stated. I mean, everything about it, everything we do with like, how many times I decide to peer review an article, no one tells me 
mm-hmm. you know, you should peer review this many articles, as well as right. do things like chair theses. There's no rule that says how many you have to do. Yet the whole thing only functions if we do these sorts of things. Yeah. And so I think collegiality I mean, kind of goes back to our community episode from a while back. But like the relationship between is it better to have clearly stated norms of your society or is it better to have these unstated norms that are more flexible because they're unstated? And I feel like because we have a combination of both, that collegiality often ends up being the name for all the unstated norms. And that's a problem because the unstated norms smuggled in that bag are biases against women, against people of color, whole other sets of things are smuggled in there with some things that I think we would all agree with, like, does this person show up willing to put in the work for their students? Mm. I guess the question for me is, like, do we throw the bag out because it has this bad stuff in it? Or do we figure out some way to, like, sort My metaphor is falling apart here. Like, pick the stuff out of the bag, put them in another bag, throw that bag out, recycle the initial bag. I have no idea. We're following you. It's cool. Well, I think that what you're describing is really the academic version of what we've seen in the larger workforce that goes under this name, quiet quitting. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of quiet quitting is not that you quit your job. It's just that you don't feel obliged to volunteer more than what you're paid to do. You don't feel obliged to exhibit scare quote enthusiasm, right? Mm -hmm. And I think so much of being a good colleague in academia is just about exhibiting scare quote enthusiasm. It's about volunteering and publishing more than you're supposed to publish, teaching better than you really have to teach, doing acts of service that go beyond the minimal requirements. To call somebody uncollegial for just doing their job merely doing their job, I think has more force in academia than it might in other white-collar professions. Mm -hmm. But that becomes all the more difficult because, as Jason says, we do have a lot of unwritten norms and rules. They're often then trotted out at the very last minute, like when I'm getting evaluated annually for a pay increase or up for tenure or promotion, then all of a sudden that I directed no senior theses suddenly is the thing that's preventing me from getting promoted when no one ever said anything about it before. We should separate out two senses of collegiality a bit more clearly than we have been. On the one hand, we've talked about these positive characteristics that someone has, according to which we would say that they are collegial. And the two that I drew, one from each of you, was that they're supportive of the academic and intellectual enterprise that we're all part of, and they make that intellectual community work. And the other one is that they follow the rules. They are okay with getting voted down as long as there has been an honest and open discussion, and they will take no personal animosity and hold no grudges on the basis of that. I think those are all positive aspects of collegiality. But then there is this other side. When the word collegial is used, it means something else, and that something else is often nefarious. Sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia, all of these could be covered under the word collegial, 
And I think it was you, Jason, who mentioned this, that if at a meeting discussing hiring someone or granting them tenure or promoting them, if I say they're not collegial because I think they're not going to pitch in and do the work that needs to be done in our department. Now, you could also say, Mm -hmm. yep, I think they're not going to be collegial. And that person might mean they're not like me or they're not like us. I think they're going to be critical of me or maybe even be better than me, and therefore I don't want them around. But using the word collegial in this amorphous way allows a whole lot of things to get covered by it, and we can have this discussion as if we all know what the fuck we're talking about. Here at the hotel bar... Rick, Jason, and I like to pour philosophy straight into your ears. We're an independent and ad-free podcast, and we'd like to keep it that way. But the only way we can do that is with listener support. You can help us defray some of our production costs by signing up to support us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash hotel bar sessions. There are several levels of monthly donations there that you can sign up for, And every one of them helps us keep raising our glasses to deep conversations. If you'd prefer to make a one-time donation or several one-time donations, just visit our website at hotelbarpodcast.com where you can find links to support the podcast through Venmo, PayPal, or Cash App. And you can keep enjoying our tipsy philosophy and sobering insights. So I'm still trying to unpack Jason's bag metaphor, but <laughs> I suppose that... Because the metaphor itself is in a bag. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose that if we all agree that there's both good stuff and bad stuff in the collegiality bag, Jason's question still stands. You know, Do we just throw it all away and say, look, no references to collegiality at all. Collegiality can never be used as a criterion for anything important. Or is there some middle way where we don't have to throw away the bag, but we don't have to keep the notion of collegiality that has all of these problematic aspects to it? Personally, I think one solution to this is to make the bag smaller by taking some of the things unstated and making them stated norms. So take them out of the bag. Yeah, take them out of the bag. You know, go back to Rick's example, how often people teach like intro seminars. Put that someplace else in teaching and take it out of the bag. So the bag's still going to – I think the bag is – you can't get rid of the bag. But to make it as small as possible – at least makes it harder to do this bait and switch where one person is talking about one thing in the bag, another person is talking about another one of the bad things in the bag. Yeah, but I think we all have had this experience where when someone calls out a colleague and says, you're saying uncollegial, but you're being racist or you're being sexist, that's really what's going on here, that then the person who called it out is being uncollegial. Because you don't have a constructive attitude that fosters harmony. Yeah, I'm not enough scare quote enthusiasm there. (laughs) No, I'm left wondering whether really what we're talking about in this negative sense of collegiality isn't just, and I used this phrase earlier, implicit bias. Mm. 
this last academic year, we were hiring for two positions, and all of us who were involved in searches had to go through an implicit bias training. And it was really interesting for me to learn, first of all, that implicit bias is in fact necessary for human beings to live in the world because we can't take in all the information that is presented to us. And so we do cognitively always have implicit biases. But then to recognize the ways in which these implicit biases are screens of information and to be aware of what's being screened out mm -hmm. and what's therefore being allowed in. And then I'm wondering, why can't we say if someone is going to use the word collegial, then it has to be meant in this following sense and give a definition of it. And if you mean anything else besides that, then you can't use the word collegial. But isn't that the whole thing about implicit biases is that you may think that you don't mean anything other beside that, but that's because it's an implicit bias. Right. Lee, I agree with something you said earlier, and I think it gets to the heart of the problem. Namely, it is clear that a lot is in this bag of collegiality, and some of it is exclusionary. But also, being someone who's going to pitch in for what it is we're doing is a really important characteristic for a member of our department to have, and we ought to be able to talk about the ways in which they have either not pitched in or worked against the work of the department. And so I guess what I'm saying is collegiality can't live with it, can't live without <laughs> it. Well, like Jason, I also went through graduate school at a very tumultuous time for that university. I don't think this is a big mystery, but I was at Penn State during the meltdown in the early 2000s. And, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm sure that among many other things that those faculty members would say about one another, I'm sure many of them would say that others of them were not collegial. But I think it's also the case that a lot of them just didn't like each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, just personally didn't like each other. And all of us don't want to be in a department where we're constantly around people that we deeply dislike for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that you can institutionalize that. I don't think that you can make procedures about that. But you do have to recognize, and this is where I think the distinction between collegiality and a so-called good fit is an important distinction. You know, you don't want to put your department in a situation where people are miserable all the time. I think that that actually does make it harder to be collegial. But you can't just not hire people because a majority of the people in your department don't like them personally, because now we're back into Jason's bag of terrible things. Bag of deplorables. <laughs> bag of unenthusiastic people. <laughs> yeah, But Lee, so let me throw something in your wheelhouse, because I wonder if we're not in a situation here sort of ripe for deconstruction. And this is what might get us out of the, on the one hand, on the other hand. I'm wondering if we're not saying something similar to what we talked about with Michael Noss in relation to hospitality. Namely, true, absolute collegiality is impossible. 
And yet, it's the condition for the possibility of any other kind of collegiality. And so we're in the same condition with collegiality as we are with hospitality and maybe also friendship, that there is this impossible, albeit definitive, notion of it that is the condition for every conditioned form of collegiality. I see the move that you're making here, but I want to gently disagree because I do think that because collegiality is a category that, at least in my view, only applies to working conditions, Mm. it doesn't have that moral sensibility that Mm. friendship and hospitality do. And so I think collegiality is not an unconditional concept. It can be defined. The problem is, is that we're substituting all of these other things that have to do with friendship and community and hospitality and democracy, and we're putting them under the category of being collegial or being uncollegial. And that's a category mistake. I think part of what makes it possible to define collegiality, though, to go back to what we were saying earlier, is that collegiality is defined in relationship to the work that we're doing. But I think one of the issues is that people have fundamental disagreements about what the work is. Mm. I mean, in the case, mm. going back to my own tumultuous pick program, is the work teaching students the philosophical canon or is the work engaging with philosophy as a practice that goes beyond the canon, may even call the canon into question because of the exclusionary basis of the canon, right? That was a fundamental disagreement. I remember my struggle at the time was like, we should be having this disagreement as a disagreement. It should be philosophical and not people hating each other, which it ultimately became. Because people's investment in that, people's attachment to that, because I was thinking as we're talking, could I imagine a colleague that I couldn't be collegial with? And if for some reason we had someone who openly and avowedly thought that Western philosophy was about the superiority of the West or the superiority of masculine reason over, like if someone truly thought that, and didn't just engage with that because it's kind of implicit, but like made that part of their teaching, I think I'd have a hard time being collegial with them because we would fundamentally disagree about what the work we were doing was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think really nasty fights within departments that often go under the cover of someone being collegial or not being collegial are these fundamental fights over the nature of the discipline But I wonder to what extent those are just fights over a struggle for power. Mm. And so that the insistence on the importance of the canon and maybe even the superiority of the canon is an argument made because the person who makes it sees that their power in the discipline is slipping away, that more students are taking classes with people who have another position, that more things are getting published that don't take up their position, and so on. And I think a lot of these disciplinary struggles, like departments, I've seen departments blow up in an analytic versus continental struggle. I think in the end, a lot of these debates are about power, which goes back to something Lee said earlier, namely one of the negative uses of the term collegiality, and I think this is what the AAUP statement is pointing out, is to keep power in the hands of those who already have it. Yeah, again, I think that in these examples that you guys are talking about, this is evidence of faculty members 
smuggling in the idea of community under the banner of collegiality. Yeah. Earlier, I said I wouldn't refer to you know my quilt making group as my colleagues. I would say that they're my friends, or you know we're working on this project together. When we're talking about work, you know those are the people that I would call my colleagues. But I think that I also want us to have a communal understanding of what that work is, and that gets to Jason's mm. point: is that when we don't mm. have that communal concept of what that work is. I say that they're being bad colleagues when I really mean that they're not being good community members, right? Or they're not being good friends. Another point I think that we have to remember is when things really break down in departments, like collegiality completely breaks down, what happens next? It goes to the courts, Mm. right? I mean, people file lawsuits. And that just, again, makes me want to say that collegiality is different as a concept, it's different than these concepts like hospitality mm, or friendship right. or community. It doesn't have the same moral ambiguity to it. It doesn't have that, you know, unconditional, conditional relationship that we see in Derrida's treatment of these other concepts because it can be worked out in the courts or it will be worked out in the courts when it breaks. But then I come back to the main question. Couldn't we just get rid of the notion of collegiality in our discussions altogether and use different terms to say what we really mean. So instead of my use of collegiality, I could say that this person is supportive of the intellectual community that we're all a part of, and they work hard to ensure its continuance. This person follows the procedures we've outlined that are written down. They make sure that they're fairly and equally applied in all cases where they are applicable. That's what I mean by collegiality. And so I'll say that rather than say they're not being collegial or they are great colleagues. And then the other people on the other side, if they mean that they're, how did you put it, Lee? Strong, loud, and argumentative argumentative woman, say that instead of they're not collegial. Nobody's going to say that out loud. Hmm. And I think if we enforce that, then maybe we should just stop talking about collegiality. sure I'm entirely on board with the idea of just getting rid of collegiality as a reference to the way that we talk about our co-workers altogether. But I do think that Ricky made a lot of good and persuasive arguments about how it might not have enough good stuff in the bag to keep the bag at all. So I want to give you both a chance for final thoughts. And Jason, we'll go to you first. Well, picking up on the Derridian theme, my Derridian friends, I feel like (laughs) I'm torn between thinking of collegiality in terms of something that, as Spivak put it, you cannot not want, kind of have to use it, but you're always suspicious of it. And then the Derridian part was like, do you put it under erasure? I'm not really sure. But I do feel like it's a term, I totally understand why people need it, but I also totally understand why we should always be suspicious of it and always looking to see what it might be carrying in the baggage it carries with it. And I think to pull on a thread of Jason's, we should try to identify and make explicit all of those norms that are unspoken that should be written down if they function as norms. And then I think 
the nefarious use of collegiality would have less of a fertile ground in which to plant itself. Well, I expect that you both will be enthusiastically volunteering for the Committee on Collegiality as soon as we wrap up here today, but <laughs> our bartender is telling us that we got to get out of here. So I'm going to call a ride and I will catch you guys next time. Way to foster harmony, Lee. You have a very constructive attitude. <laughs> 